Hi, I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, healthy-ish lifestyle architect, body joy seeker, and French fry activist. And you're listening to 100% healthy-ish. Here's the thing. As a naturopath and an intuitive eating health at every size health coach, I have seen every angle and end of the health conversation. And after years of clinical and coaching experience, I've developed a framework for feeling good and having fun that I know you're going to love. To be healthy-ish, we move beyond the boring basics and consider some ish you have never thought of before when it comes to your health. Are you ready? It's going to be fun. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast. We are a few short days away from 2023. And we're also in that very weird limbo week where I always sort of feel like I don't know what to do with myself. Am I still in holiday mode? Am I getting ready for the new year? I don't know. And so I just decided that I would bring a friend onto the podcast today, a friend who also happens to be a business coach, a life coach, a public speaker, a community builder, and a passionate entrepreneur. And she has been on a journey with me for the past 10 years, but on her own, sort of in parallel to me for 20 years on the road to healthy-ish. And I thought it would be fun to bring her on to just talk about it, to talk about our, our wins and our fails, where we've gotten it right and epically wrong, where we're still struggling and what is next. So just a super intimate, vulnerable conversation between two friends about what it's like to be searching for healthy-ish. But a little bit more of an intro to Pam, who is the guest today. Pam helps women step into their power in how they live, lead, and love. She says, it's time to smash your limiting beliefs, say goodbye to imposter syndrome, and confidently be the hero of your own story. Gone are the days of playing small. As the founder of LL, that's Limitless Living for Women, she spent 18 years coaching, public speaking, and creating life-changing community experiences and events for women. She helps women own their worth while fiercely, fiercely supporting each other. She's a change agent who loves sparking, inspiring conversations that challenge the status quo. And I know you are going to love everything she has to say. In here, we are talking about everything from behind the scenes, kind of like embarrassing health issues to dating to um, vulnerable conversations about what's actually helping us when it comes to feeling good in our skin and what is next for us. I think you're going to love it. Um, let's go. <laughs> oh shit. We're recording. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. Okay. So, uh, let's just dive right in. I'm here with Pam. We're like laughing already and saying inappropriate things that need to be cut. Um, we are recording this before Christmas, but it's going to go live right after on December 27th. And so we were chatting about what we are going to cover today. And obviously you have already heard this intro about Pam and who she is and all the amazing things that she's done and is doing, but she also just happens to be a friend of mine. And so we thought it's this weird week in between Christmas and New Year's. People feel like they don't know what to do with themselves. You're kind of still relaxing, but also weirdly gearing up for the new year and kind of stuck in that limbo zone. And so we thought we'd just keep it conversational to get today and have a fun chat about healthy-ish, what it means to both of us, how it's played out in our lives, 
where there have been bumps along the way, where we're looking to go next, just kind of like, yeah, that kind of a conversation. Sound good? Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How should we Obviously. start? Should I just like, so last night we just brainstormed five really loose, big questions that we could ask each other. And then we were just going to see where it goes. So should I just start with the first question? That let's do it. Okay. Right okay. Pamela, I mean, Paniota. <laughs> I was going to say, I always give you the Ameri- the Canadian and then I have to rewind. Yeah. <laughs> Where did your healthiest journey begin? <laughs> it's, you know, just as we referenced last night, it's like, Oh, is that going to be such a big question that I, you know, talk about 20 years of my life, right, Jill? Cause you know, I, I looked at it. I was like, okay, through the healthiest lens lens, where you're at now, there's kind of, there was a starting point. And then the journey itself non-negotiably had to start at my rock bottom of my eating disorder, right? When I chose recovery and healing, because the reality is you can't come out of, I had lived eight to nine ish years of extremely toxic behaviors, right? With my body, with exercise and with food. And to be able to leave that behind, like you can't take diet culture with you, right? You can't, I had to transform my relationship to food and body. But when I look back and that was, now we're talking 2003, 2004, I look back now though, the focus was still a lot around food, body, movement, fuel, because you had to, you know, get healthy and all of the things. In the recovery process. In the recovery process, right? On top of the fact that literally as I recovered, I remember being in therapy for my eating disorder and taking my first personal training course, you know what I mean? To become a trainer. So So I I totally know because I became a naturopath in my recovery. So yes, I totally know. Yeah. So it's like, and those, those industries can fuel a lot of the patterns that you used to have. Anyhow, when I take a look at the conversations that you're having now, you know, around healthiest, which I love, and you already know that, and that driver of how we feel in the areas of our lives, you know, like taking a look at healthy-ish and and how I take care of myself is, you know, aligning how I want to feel in my clothing, how I want to feel with movement, how I want to feel with how I nourish myself. I would say that that work had to start in 2013 as I had to reassess the relationship to myself, but it's been like such a deeper dive since I would say the last five or six years, Jill, yeah. you know, yeah. which I think so it's sort of like recovery with, right? was the beginning, but it was yep. still hyper-focused. And that is the conundrum of recovering from uh, disordered eating and eating disorders totally. is that you're trying to leave behind preoccupying thoughts about food and body and movement. But in order to do that, you have to be a little bit focused on food and body and movement. Exactly. Right. But I think like what you're identifying is this really important piece, which is that recovering from an eating disorder doesn't lead you to health. It just keeps you from disorder. Right. And that there's this whole other piece of integration or return, Mm -hmm. however you would think about it to yourself that takes time that takes, like you said, like another decade, maybe Mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm out of the disorder. And now how do I circle back to caring for myself in a whole new way? Totally. Yeah. And not feel like, oh, I'm picking this food. You know, we've had this conversation. This is diety food, right? Like, it's like, no, I actually just really want a fucking salad right now. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Mm -hmm. I sure Mm -hmm. hope so. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) I just actually want it and I need it 
and I feel good. And it has really nothing to do of the days that I used to, you know, just eat it. You right? Like totally like we were Vox ring. Was it Vox ring or texting about, or, you know, getting the lettuce wrap on a the lettuce wrap. I mean, you have, you have celiac disease. You have like yeah. a gluten allergy. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I just sometimes prefer with a lettuce wrap, but it, yeah. it like, those are things that when you have a history of dieting or disorder, or when you are in the line of work that I am in, that I think you are in, which is like mm-hmm. really about breaking down that old programming, it can feel hard to say things or own things like that for fear of it being like misunderstood. You nailed it. And yeah. honestly, that's again, why I'm so happy you're having this conversation. Cause as you know, I've spent years too with the movement coach hat on and I remember at one point, I'm like, these conversations feel so heavy. There is such a divide and I'm not, I don't land in either camp, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And that was coming and up, so, you know, quite frankly, it was coming up a lot in the work one-on-one with the women I was doing too. Course. Like, like, I don't fully feel like I fit. And on an, on a, a private individual one-on-one coaching relationship level, I was mm-hmm. able to 100% address all of that. And then over the past few years, I've been like, but why am I not? just saying these things out loud. And really it was just like fear of being condemned as, you know, inappropriately co-opting anti-diet language. Um, and there's a lot fears- of political, there's a lot of political stuff embedded in all of these, all of these issues, which is important. And and your fears were valid, Jill, yeah. because that actually was existing, right? Like me and you have talked about it. We saw people kind of put sneak in diet culture to something they were selling as body positive or body neutral or whatnot, right? And then getting slammed for it. Like the whole yeah. vulnerability, it's like, this is, I'm not that, but that is happening. And so if I speak to that, will it be perceived like that, right? Yeah. And so I think it took me anyway, just a few years to wrap my head around I mean, I think what it genuinely comes down to is totally understanding who I am and what my values are and what I'm doing and getting comfortable enough with it that mm-hmm. I could handle the criticism, however it comes and be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know, so scary. Sir- it's, there's lots of stuff that I hit publish on in the past two months that I've been like, you know, uh, huh. Yeah. Right. The visibility yeah. of it all. What do you think? I think we, we line up a little bit similar too, but for you really, embracing and landing in your own healthiest groove, right? Where would you say? Cause I, you know, that, that you really own that, you know, for yourself, take away it? from your work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Take away the coaching hat, the natural path hat, but for you, when you were really trying it on for size, like, I think for me, I actually believe except for a couple of like little bumps in the road and blips, mm-hmm. I actually feel like I fully embraced it probably 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, And just like, I was introduced to intuitive eating in like 2011, 2012. I really dove deep into that work in 2013, like in my practice, Mm -hmm. closed my general practice and was doing intuitive eating, body image, body positive counseling, coaching by 2015, 2016 in that. But I had evolved like already beyond that into mm-hmm. the next iteration, which I'm now calling healthy-ish. I didn't really have a word for it at the time. Although within a year, I was like, I'm going to write a book called healthy-ish. And well, I, I never finished it because the work kind of took over. Um, but yeah, for me, it was a while ago. And I think that that's like, it comes down to when I was thinking about that question, like when did your healthiest journey begin? You know, for me, the first thing that came to mind when we created that question was me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality or the realization that 
I just remember going to a friend's house. We lived in this, we lived in Waterloo. My dad was doing his PhD there. We had like a lot of, um, my dad was doing a PhD with a family of like four young kids, but most of my friends had parents who were like done school and well-established and like, they just had different, we had this like very warm, clean, safe, fun, sweet, but very, very tiny rental unit on campus. But a lot of my friends had like big houses and like their parents had were well established Mm. in their jobs and so I remember going to this one friend's house and I think her mom was celiac but I I didn't know what that was at that time and so I just remember eating rice crackers there and that very distinct taste of like sesame oil and (laughs) I didn't know what that was either you know and then you know I grew up we moved back to the east coast and it wasn't until I was in my twenties and I found rice crackers again. And I was like, Oh my God, these things. But I just remember being so deeply interested in this oh, food okay. at her house. And it was sort of, you, you know, it was like the health food, you know, and I was always really into health food stores. And even in high school, when we moved to Fredericton, I would take myself into the health food store and I'd be really interested in the henna hair dyes and the, the sort of natural side of things. And um, I was really clear from early on anytime I was having a bad time. I would take everything in my room apart and I would clean it and I would rearrange it mm. and organize it and declutter. And I'd be like, okay, that makes me feel better. This is what makes me a different space. Changing up my environment makes mm. me feel better in my body. I was a big bather, even as a teenager. Shocker. A yeah, I'm like shocked. I live, I'm like I'm a water baby, right? Like I live in the water. Even mm-hmm. in the summer, I'd live, my friends would joke. I lived in my bathing suit all summer long. You know, they're like, do you ever take that off? Like it, you know, um, so there's all these aspects. I was really into sports and fitness yep. and taking care of myself. And I loved food and cooking and music was a really big part of what made me feel good. And I was mm-hmm. really clear on all of that. I weirdly think of the disordered eating and the hyper fixation on healthy eating as like a blip in my yep. healthiest journey. Like I, so to me, it's so much, and I think this is true for a lot of us, like mm-hmm. coming back to our healthiest formula, isn't about finding something new. It's about pulling back all of these layers of programming that like diverted us on this never ending scenic route to nowhere. I couldn't agree more. Almost. It's like, like, yeah, I, I'm thinking back to my childhood too right? What you're saying, what I am, who it's like, I knew who I was. Like I can remember almost this little old soul and like seven years old, loving music and dancing around and movement and sports. And like, you look back to like the goals of my six-year-old self. And it was like to be the first woman to play in world cup soccer, because I felt I could, and I was worthy of all of it. (laughs) Right, Jill. And then, yes, of course, it's that external programming that covers up the knowing of like, actually who we are, what we want, what makes us feel good. Right. Like, it's like, it gets that noise gets compounded. And then you're right. That disordered eating is almost that blip, that, that moment of disconnection, which right to ourselves and our values and what we know to be true for us. And I think like, I just feel lucky enough that that disconnection happened quite a bit later in my life so that I had that history to look back on and go like, no, I kind of know what the formula sort of looks like for me because I can look back and see it. But for some people that programming happens so early that they don't even remember, like they haven't even had time to form. And in, in those cases, it's taking us a little bit, like it's taking a little longer to uncover their healthy-ish formula. Yeah. I think it was interesting because, you know, I alluded to, it was years of disordered behaviors that I engaged in, but I can go back to like 
my journaling teenage self and reading literally the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Mm -hmm. like when I was 18, Jill, and in the throes of my eating disorder. So what was really interesting is as much as behaviorally stuff was going on, I had this almost this inner knowing of this is about so much more. And I need to look at all of these different layers, right? Like this isn't just Pam is obsessed with, you know, eating carrots and getting the smallest body as she can. You know, it's like, it's like, I knew that even though I was engaged in it, I knew it. And then, you know, that real healing of just like pulling back the layers and getting back to who I was, you know, in spite of it all. But yeah, I always felt like even same thing. I, the act of disordered eating in my life didn't actually last that long. And I really attribute that to the fact that I had that connection to sort of who I wanted to be and that this Mm -hmm. was not who I was. It was, it was hard. It was definitely, it took over my life for a while and then it took many years to come out of it. But it, yeah, I really attribute like just that knowing what actually made my life really good and really worthwhile and really like fun and purposeful. Mm -hmm. And like, this was not it. Like what I was in was a problem and I wasn't exactly sure how to get out of it, but like, this was not it. Yeah. But that's unique. I think too. I don't think that happens for everybody. Agreed. For me, it was like, I think a combination of that connection, that inner knowing they're like, holy sweet Jesus. It looks like freedom over there. I don't know how to get there, but that literally looks like freedom, you know, like from the shackles of what is. So it was a mix of that. And also like we've spoken about really bringing awareness to the external programming and the systems and everything at place so that I wasn't this 19, 20 year old girl feeling so guilty for having engaged in these patterns and feeling I was only worthy in smaller bodies and all of that. Right. Like mm-hmm. there were massive systems at play. Like I remember reading the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf when I was 19 and my, uh, like, I remember just being like, holy sweet mother, you know, like yeah. there are, there are patriarchal agendas at play here that made me feel this way that landed like a lot of fire for me. It's kind of, you know, that whole, like getting into women's empowerment at a young age. And honestly, I would attribute that book and many other books I read around 19 and 20, because I just stepped back and I went, F you, I didn't do this to myself. You know, like I wasn't born this way at six years old when I was dancing around feeling like I was going to be the first girl playing world cup. Right. Like I did not feel this way. So damn you. So it was that mix of like, oh, it ain't my fault. You know, I need to get back to me. I have no idea how to do it, but I'm calling you out at the same time. And I'm going to identify it as I move through the world, because, you know, as we can get into the next conversation, what we're like the bumps along the road is the reality. (laughs) Diet culture exists everywhere, right? Women form relationships around diet culture. I remember waking up at 2021 and being like, Okay. I was like diagnosing people. I'm like, so every single woman I'm meeting has disordered eating. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and most do to some extent. Yeah. 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 Right? Any specific, like, can you think of a, I know we both identified sort of like disordered eating and diet culture is yeah. causing bumps in the road. Anything more recent that you can think off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, actually I would say I was thinking it's like you form this new relationship to yourself as you evolve, right? We evolve and what we need and what we want and what we desire changes. So you form it, you get comfortable with it. And then the unknown happens again, like, i.e. an injury, 
you know, or, you know, back when my diagnosis was celiac, but more recently gut health issues that I've been having. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like this clarity on, it's like, you get to this point and I'm like, movement like this makes me feel good. And eating like this makes me feel good. And, and then suddenly you're like, oh, (laughs) overnight, I can't move like that anymore. I, this used to really feel good in my gut. And now it's literally throwing me for a spiral for 24 hours because it caused a flare up. Right. And that's suddenly you're renegotiating this relationship that you had created to food movement, your body and your wellness on a whole, because you have to recreate it again. I would say that that's been, that's been tricky sometimes. What about you? Yeah. Well, interestingly, I was thinking about a really recent thing too. So for me, it's gut stuff also. So Mm-hmm. Um, before the pandemic, so probably 2019 in the winter, mm-hmm. we were away with family for a weekend and I had what I now know was like a gastritis attack, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Cause I'd never had anything like it. It was like the most intense, sharp stomach pain and, um, nausea and being sick, but it's kind of like, do I have flu? Like, do I have food poisoning? What is happening? It's sort of felt really acute and came out of nowhere, but then all of a sudden it's over and, and I'm totally better. And I'm like, what, what was that? So I had this weird attack in 2019 and then 2020, the pandemic hit. And in March I had two of those attacks. And so again, the Mm. first one, I was like, what is this? Is this the flu? I just immediately assumed it was the flu because it's very intense and very violent. And, um, but then again, five hours later, it's over and I'm a bit tired, but I feel totally fine. I have no fever. Mm. I'm not sick. And then it happened again. And I think it was just stress. I think it was a lot of stress. Also, and- let's highlight, you said March, 2020. Yes, this is it. Right. Yeah. It's like so stressful. Kids are at home. Don't know what's going on in the world. I felt okay on a, on like a logical level. I felt like yeah. I was managing everything, but my body was kind of being like, no, you're not. And so by the second one, I had that intuitive hit also, I mean, I'm trained as a naturopath. So like, I know I was like, this is gastritis. This is like a stomach issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I started trying to figure out how to deal with that. And so that was really interesting because I had to sink in, you know, so many times along the way on this intuitive eating body image, body positive health at every size journey. People have asked things like, what do you think about um, keto, or what do you think about intermittent fasting? Or what do you think about Mm -hmm. detoxing or, you know, and, and really my answer has always been, I think it's all okay, depending on your motivation and your flexibility and your approach to it. And, um, and if you stay intuitive, meaning that you're not stuck in someone else's hard and fast rules about how you have to eat every single day, in which case I would just call it intuitive eating. Like some people intuitively like to have a little more protein and fat in their diet. And some people intuitively stop eating at a certain time at night because they know it makes them sleep better or, mm-hmm. but you know, but if they're out with friends, they'll just do it. Cause they're not on a diet. They're just following yeah. their body. So it was interesting because I had to sink into that for myself a little bit. So initially I had done things like I cut out alcohol for a couple of months and I cut out coffee and we were locked at home. So we weren't out socializing. So it was weirdly, uh, that helps <laughs> to do these things. And those things helped, but I, and this was very intuitive. There was no, um, forethought 
But what I found was when my stomach was acting up, what I really needed was to stop eating so late at night and give my body a longer break. And so I kind of weirdly from the outside, if you were looking in did a little IF, a little IF. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, it was very intuitive because if I felt like eating on the weekend or if I was hungry or whatever, there was no specific time limits or cutoffs, or I wasn't thinking about hours or how it was changing my body. I was just literally trying to give my stomach a break. And weirdly, when I did that, I could eat all the foods as long mm-hmm. as I gave my body a bit of a break. And um, it's so interesting because Lisa Lavoie is going to be on the podcast in the new year. She's a naturopath who does human design work. Mm. And we had an initial meeting when I was going to bring her onto the podcast and also maybe include her as a collaborator in my new offers because Amazing. your human design is so interesting and in how it affects your health. And so one oh. of the things that she said is like, I'm a projector and projectors need a lot of space and a lot of rest and a lot of downtime to be creative. Um, but she said my specific makeup, I have these motors, these extra motors in like my solar plexus, like in my stomach essentially. Mm. And like a, a one or two other areas in my body that allow me to operate like a generator, like someone who's, Ooh, who works, which I'm a generator. Right. But I can only do it for so long. Yeah. And she said, because one of these motors is in your stomach, like when this gastritis thing flares up, what it's literally asking for is for you to just take a break. Hmm. It's not about a specific food. It's just like, I just need rest. I need the motor to turn off for a little bit, you know? And I do know. So intuitively, I found that. I feel like I work it very intuitively. So there's periods of the year where I I'm really like, okay, I need to be careful about my night eating and my more. And then other times where I'm like, I'm fine. I can just tell I'm fine. And I'm like, summer, I'm eating late and I'm waking up and eating with the family on holiday for weeks on end. Like, you know, like it's very flexible, but it's also strategic and intentional. (sighs) I was just going to say, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to digest, right? It's like, actually how I eat and move and live looks really different day to day, but there's actually strategy and intention behind what I'm doing. And it's hard to explain. Right. And that's where this whole, you see it, you know, prescripted ways of moving and eating and being is just, uh, it just doesn't freaking work as we know, but taking pieces of it can be super helpful. Right. And yeah. And there's so many examples of that in, in my intuitive eating career, but then also in my general naturopathic career, again, I just didn't have all the words for it at the time, but I'd have people that would come in and they'd be doing, I don't know, a whole 30 and they'd be like, this was supposed to make me feel amazing. And I feel terrible. And their skin was gray. And I'd be like, because Mm -hmm. you need more carbohydrates. I was like, so what if Mm -hmm. we introduce quinoa and rice and you know and then they just do that and they feel amazing and they're like but they never would have thought to do it because it wasn't on the plan the plan yeah grains are not allowed and it's like grains are not the devil you know like I'm reducing them occasionally for certain body types and people might be helpful but Mm -hmm. not for everybody and the person that was in front of me like when I think of this specific example was also a really hard exerciser like loved Mm -hmm. exercise this was not going to work for them right no, this was going to make them ravenous. So and they hangry. felt awful. They, they were course. literally gray. This incredibly vital, healthy human being was looking gray on this plan that, that for some people feels amazing. But anyway, um, they luckily enough had the flexibility of thinking to listen and do the thing, but that's where it gets tricky. Like that's where, Absolutely. again, we go back to that whole 
so much of healthy-ish is about peeling away all of the layers that keep us stuck in rigid thinking Mm -hmm. about the right way to eat, the right way to move. And these weird old ideas, it's funny when I look back on them now, but when I think about things like, I thought I'd find a way to eat that would be the way I ate forever. Yep. <laughs> I remember trying that on for size too for years. <laughs> yeah. But I think this that's is part what of, works for me. I think that's part of health and wellness and diet culture though, right? It teaches us mm-hmm. sort of like you just have to find the right way to eat and then you can stick to it forever. And again, I think there's a really small percentage of people that find one way to eat and it stays the same forever. But for most people, it evolves with age. It changes with season. It changes with stress levels Usually. and hormones and health issues that pop up and just and all of rea- explain to it. And the reality is, is the only thing that we can bank on is life is constant unknowns and change, right? And so if we're so stuck on a certain, you know, way of eating and moving that will not like fall apart. Like that's guaranteed. And so how do we navigate those ebbs and flows of life? If we feel stuck to, you know, a prescriptive way of showing up in the world, right. That's honestly why, you know, being in the movement and the fitness industry for so long, but around 2016, ironically enough, when I said I embraced my own, my own like healthy ish, Jill, that's when I, I literally wanted to retire the hat from full time. Like, I didn't even know if I wanted people to call me, you know, a trainer anymore, or if I didn't know if I wanted to keep movement in my work, because when I did have a fitness studio, right. Full time in the year between 2013 and 2016. And I wore the hat right full time. There were so many women that were walking through the door and I knew they did not need hardcore hit class at that time. They may have needed something else. Right. And I had a really hard time or when I was selling programs, like the 12 week program. And I just wanted to almost turn around and be like, I know you paid for this, but can you just take it off this week? But it was, you know, it was, well, shit, this is week four and this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm going to feel guilty if I don't get that third workout in. So I had a hard time. Don't get me wrong. I was aware enough that I brought in these conversations, conversations, of course, you know, and we would talk about them, you know, but I just, I just had a hard time not broadening the conversation on a daily basis and offering something that maybe was the only way women could work with me and like touch on the philosophy I was teaching, but doing it in a way that might've not actually been best for them. You know, like you don't, I I probably wouldn't even, I don't think a hit class is actually going to help you feel how you need to feel. You know, your sympathetic nervous system is so tapped right now, right? That it's like maybe a yin yoga class would be great. I'm yeah. sorry, you can't find that here, but yeah. can we have these conversations, right? So yeah, then, as I've evolved, my work has evolved. Shocker, right? <laughs> totally. And like, when you think about your own life right now, because we just have been talking a little bit about like food and um, movement and bodies mm-hmm. and this idea that it's like really not just about these things, like how this is about connecting the mm-hmm. thoughts to these bigger things. Like where do you, like where in your life are you seeing besides food and movement, and your body, like Mm -hmm. what are things in your life that are really contributing to your overall well-being and how you feel in your body that have nothing to do with those things? Oh, this is probably my favorite conversation. We could probably have hours of talking, but the space is huge for me. Space, Space, like feeling like the physical space that I'm in, the people that I keep close to my life. Literally, I was having this conversation actually with a good friend of mine, um, 
last night, uh, a longtime friend and was talking to her about your podcast and this whole concept and was talking to her how like last night I was sitting eating a caramel chocolate chip rice cake, watching TV, having her in my headphones, catching up with a bestie for half an hour. And that was part of my healthy-ish equation. Like that gave me that boost of joy. You know what I mean? To literally kind of do a stretch bedtime routine that felt good, right? Like that was for me, space, Jill, non-negotiably people that I keep in my life, energetic boundaries, like knowing when it's like, if it's not a heck yes, social plan, no, that matters. The clothing that I put on my body, like if it don't fit, I ain't going to wear it. And I'm not going to try and get into a size because no, I don't need to be reminded, you know, all day long, not to feel good. That's huge. How getting to know my own sexuality, like the sensuality more, you know, and pleasure, be it in a relationship or out of a relationship has been transformative and something that I haven't, I maybe only talked about probably in the last couple of years since leaving our relationship, ironically. right? Right. But how that plays into it and honoring those needs and communicating those needs. And it just, it's a really cool spot to be in that fashion, you know, to be like, and to own, I think there were, there was a piece of my journey. And I know you were, you, you were around during that point where it was like, I had made peace with certain things, but visibility and really kind of playing with the body that I was in, in the moment, be it when it came to fashion and beauty was still something that I was like, eh, I'll do it here, but I won't do it here. I'm definitely not going to do in front of a camera, you know? There are those moments. And then to land in this place is, this is it. How do I dress to make it feel fun and exciting? Yeah. And actually it's so funny because part of my evolution in that, in that sphere is like, I actually find it really fun to put Mm -hmm. on, to put like trends that I like, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. trends that I enjoy, clothes that I love and just put them on my body and have fun with how they look. Whereas it, you know, there's definitely versions of me in the past that would have been like, these clothes don't look right on me. So I can't wear them. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, no, no, I can wear whatever I want to wear and, and actually putting them on my body and seeing it, how, how it looks. And it's, there's like a rebelliousness in it for me that I really enjoy and a, something empowering or kind of in your face, but not really in your face because it's my body and I'm the one dealing with it. It just feels really good. It feels fun to me to do that. It's fun. Yeah. You know what I love? Like in my coaching work, I've spoke to this. I live it. I feel like it's such like a, just a golden nugget is when we embrace like a curious lens and approach to things like to try you be it feeling very curious in terms of how, how an outfit is going to make me feel instead of being like, no, I can't wear that. Or I can't wear that. Or when we're in the change room, you know, it just, it minimizes judgment or fear that I may have on trying that on for size, right? Like Mm -hmm. being curious in the bedroom with a partner, being curious with clothing, being, I don't know, curious with a new way that I want to arrange my living room that I've never done before and how that's going to make me feel not being like this, it, this has to feel good or it's bad or it's wrong or it's right. It's just, huh, I'm really interested to see how this is going to make me feel. You know, I'm interested to see what more information I can get for myself you know, to add to my healthiest blueprint, like, do I enjoy long walks at three o'clock in the afternoon or does this not work for me? And should yeah, I go I earlier? That. Like nothing yeah. has to be wrong or right. And also nothing has to be forever. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we mm-hmm. talked about those bumps in the road often came have come for me when I've had to renegotiate my relationship to whatever it was <laughs> yeah. to being a stepmom at one point to being a single girl at another point to now I'm the girl who can't run because of it ban issues. Right. Like now I'm someone, Oh, funny. This salad really pissed off my gut in the middle of the day. Right. Like, yeah that's ever evolving. So if I'm going to constantly scared of change or constantly judge myself for having to do things differently as I age, you know, or whatever it is, then it's like, that can feel hard and heavy and add to the whole, like that divisive, heavy health conversation talk that you want to pull apart. Right. But if I can just make it like, Ooh, interesting, you know? Yeah. That was yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that was oh. like the, my next question was going to be, um, where are you at now on the journey? But it sounds like curiosity. Curiosity. I would say curiosity. I've used a lot because curiosity I've used to kind of neutralize and not feel as like hard on myself for things. Right. I would say, yeah, I guess now curiosity, but moving forward that like, I don't know what, how I want to coin it. Stepping into visibility around it a little bit more is next. Yeah. Right. Is just visibility. Yeah. More visibility. And I think, you know, this is twofold. This is within my work, but within my personal life as well, Jill, you know, and in what way, what would that look like? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Vulnerable as F, but, um, relationships dating, you know, I'm a late 30 year old woman who's getting back in the dating game and let's get serious. That could pull apart. That could pull up so many triggers. Yeah. And all of the things. All the areas. Yes. All, all of the all areas. All the areas. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast episode, right? So I think for me, yeah, right now is staying. That is true. part of your well-being, right? Oh, holy mother effort. It's a Not huge just, part I don't, of my I don't mean like I don't mean like having a partner. I just mean the way that you feel in that sphere of your life, whether oh you're God, partnered usually. or not partnered or how you're managing all the in-between. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. So I guess, you know what, more clearly articulating my answer for what's to come is staying true to everything that I've learned and know about me and my values and staying in my integrity as I'm as I navigate very vulnerable areas of my life. And I've said it to you before, Jill, and I'm, I'm transparent with clients that I've worked with. I feel quite confident in certain areas of my life. And the biggest vulnerability has been around relationships and men for me always has. So if there are going to be trigger some stuff that comes up, it will be that it will be navigating this world. Do you know what I mean? As a 38 year old woman, again, you know what I mean? Dating and putting myself out there. So I think for me, the now is okay. You, you just told Jill and you feel very like you're landing in this place of like, you don't have shame or judgment about these decisions that you make for yourself and your health and your well being. You're having fun with fashion. You're doing all of this. Okay. That's really great. You've done that. You've done that as a single girl. <clears throat> big test now, you know, start showing up with other people and showing up in that spit vulnerable space. And the test will be, can you carry that, you know, into there? What's the, what do you think the biggest barriers are? The biggest barriers that, oh my God, I could, I could say so much about this. So I want to land somewhere that could be relatable for people, but really where I'm at is 
you know, we're taught from a young age, Jill, to, as women to be desirable, right? To the external eye, yeah. you know? Then culture tells us women who are desirable look a certain way, right? Then we're taught desirability is attached to your self-worth, right? If people think you're pretty or attractive, then you're worthy of all of this, right? And so I've done so much work to dismantle it and often look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah, I am beautiful, Papa Collar, let's effing go. That can feel very vulnerable when you know, literally you're sitting across the table with someone who's asking them, themselves questions about you, you know, and is making yeah. decisions. Evaluating on you in that realm. Evaluating me in that way. Yeah, well, that's like a friend of mine, we were talking about online dating and we were talking about, <laughs> you know, feeling superficial or whatever, but the reality yeah. is that it's not the only thing you have to go on, but it's no. one of the few things you actually have to go on in 100%. when you're, you know, old school. And I know that there's lots of issues with how we used to old school find people and date, but like you'd find someone and there would be chemistry or there would be, it, it could supersede just appearance. There'd be a conversation, a funny event, a something that throws you together, or there were things that, that made the way that somebody looks part of the puzzle, but online, it's really the first, it's the first most thing. obvious thing. There's a little bit, you know, there's a profile, there's a whatever you, you there's some personality, but like appearance is a huge part of it. Listen, you ain't swiping right. If you don't see a picture. Okay. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know the online dating, right. Is when you're interested left is when you're not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's the reality, right? Like, right. So, you know, that already there's a different kind of like a different kind of, well, and I think aging is such a big piece of this too. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've aged with my partner, Mm -hmm. so we've aged together. We've grown together. High five. That sounds lovely. Yeah. But it's a whole other thing. I think when you're jumping in with somebody at a different end of the pool, but like, I think the, yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think just remembering that just everyone's in that same boat. A hundred percent. Who's in, who's, who's dating, who's online dating. A hundred percent. And you know what, as someone who does feel a lot more comfortable with where I've landed, and even I'd say this last bout of putting myself out there, it's been actually really interesting to have these conversations with men, Jill, you know, and, and literally listen to their own insecurities around these things. Right. And their own questions about what they're up against or how other men look or what they used to look like or, 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 you know, there was a, there was a individual that I talked to briefly. We're going back, meh, say a solid year and a half ago. Right. And I honestly could feel his resistance to, to meeting me because he said he had gained weight since COVID. Right. So interesting. Like, it's yeah. like, it's not one. It's like we want to like, um, not that I don't acknowledge that men have like food and body and all kinds of that stuff. But I think that we just minimize it sometimes. Of course. You know? that's And, and that's why I just um, wanted to bring yeah, it to the table, yeah. right? Well, you know, what's interesting is um, Katrina from My Orgasmic Life. So we recorded a podcast as you and I are recording right now. It hasn't gone yeah. live. I think it's going to go live next week, actually. It will go live. But awesome. in it, she talks about being in this, um, she's doing this new training and she's also facilitating this new sexual storytelling kind of workshop where people work through stories of their own sexual experiences, but it's about working through shame and, and just experience and processing and integrating and consent and like danger and joy and like all the things in between. But what's really interesting is it's a co-ed space. Ooh, that is really interesting. 
And so we talked about the fact that she used to run predominantly women's groups Mm -hmm. and, um, but opening this up and doing it more co-ed is actually so healing because you're hearing really different. And she said, just even men talking about their genitals or their like experiences or their whatever. And it's just like, oh, like they're, oh yeah, they're people too. (laughs) Like, I know it's Uh, obvious, but. Oh, I know. But not. Oh, I know. Right. You're talking to someone who's completely focused my work on women, right. For my whole life, because that's what I knew. That's where my struggles were. That's where I wanted to help. That's where I wanted to serve. I think you get to a point when you realize I'm like, we, we have to invite others into the conversation, you know, people that don't identify as women into the conversation, right. Because yeah, I think that's where a lot of true healing can happen. You know, remembering, I think like, damn, the patriarchy isn't damn men. Right. It's it, like uh, they're neg- just as negatively affected oh. by the systems that are in place in some ways, in some ways, not so much, but like they're greatly affected in a hugely. negative way by these systems. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting that you say that. That's literally what I was just going to say. Like, I've always said that, like, I'm like, patriarchy doesn't serve either. You know, no. people identify as women, people identify as men, like we're all like, you know, negatively impacted by it. So inviting them into the conversation for sure. Yeah. Anyways, can let's circle back to you. Huh. You right now, where yeah. are you at? <laughs> um, so a couple of things. Um, I'm just like, same thing. I'm like, there's so many things that are popping into mind. Okay, so here's one of the <laughs> things that just popped into my mind immediately. So I'm coming up with these new offers and I'm putting them out into the world. And a few months ago when I was initially designing the, this new way of working, um, I said to my business coach, you know, I just feel like, maybe, and we hear this in the business sphere all the time. So for someone who's not an entrepreneur, maybe you haven't heard this before, but if you're in the entrepreneurial space, you've heard it. And it's like, I think I need to like up level who I am in order (laughs) to be the kind of person who sells and facilitates this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted Erica, my business coach, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago to help me with that. And she said, I would like to suggest that you are already that person you just haven't fully stepped into the work. Mm. And there, and then I realized like, there have been so many moments and don't, don't get me wrong. I forget this all the time. And then I have to come back to it. I find it again as a new epiphany every week, you know, but like, I am already like living the kind of life that I want to live. Like we were talking about joking around with the kids the other day about winning the lottery. Okay. (laughs) If I won the lottery, the reality is that our life wouldn't change that much because I love, would I have less financial worry? Would I book three extra trips this year without (laughs) concern? Yeah, but for the most part, I like the life we've created. I like the lifestyle we've created. I like the space that I have in my day. I like what I most have to fight against is making it more difficult for myself, like constantly feeling Mm -hmm. like I need to fix things, constantly feeling like I need to go against the projector nature that I have, which is I can be incredibly productive and effective for short periods of time. And then I need rest, but my training part of my, you know, patriarchal, but also probably like racist, classist, all the isms, meritocracy, capitalism kind of conditioning has made me believe that I only earn something if I basically kill myself to get it. Yep. 
And so I think where I'm at next is how can I up-level all of this by making it easier? Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Stop working so hard at everything and maybe just be like, I already am that person. I'm already doing most of the things that I need to be doing. And just like alleviating more and more of those layers of self-doubt and, and needing to make it difficult and needing, needing to prove that I'm suffering in order to earn something or deserve something or to be okay. And so I think like, that's, that's a big thing for me. And then I just really want to feel as well as I can possibly feel like I'm 43 and my goal is to feel even better than I do at 50. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. 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 Not how I look, just how I feel. I feel. And, I and feel, no, and I would say, and feel about how I look. Like I yes. want to feel even better about how I look. And that's important. Even as I age and whatever, that. you know? Yeah. Again, I think that that's important. So for me, it's about like stepping into sort of like full power, not needing to be down this constant self-improvement hole while also doing the little bits of work to alleviating the programming that makes me feel like you're not quite good enough. You're not good enough. You don't deserve this. You need to work harder. You need to suffer more. Yeah. That underlying narrative. Totally. And that conditioning is heavy, right? To be pulling apart. And, you know, I referenced it at one point and I didn't speak to it too much, but it's really important for me. The, The daily conversations I have and the people that I keep in my life, that is so instrumental, I would say to my healthy ish forever self-evolving recipe, Jill, because people for you, if people is huge, uh, if I'm pulling apart limiting beliefs on certain things, and then I'm constantly up against, you know, conversations that are then challenge reaffirming that belief that I have, that's just, it's exhausting. It's more tiring. Right. But the people, when I know I can call you and we could literally talk about this stuff, you know, inviting things in with ease or other friends that I have right on my energetic boundaries being smashed and I need more space, right? Like when I have people in my life that get it because not the whole world will, Mm -hmm. that is, I feel so instrumental. Like that's such, that's something that I want for everyone because non-negotiably we are impacted, you know, by the messaging that we get. And I think sometimes we have a little bit more, like I call it like conscious consumption, you know, that's what I call it, right? Be it who I follow on social media and the beliefs that they're putting out, be it the friends that I go to, to talk about my love life versus the friends that I don't, you know, be it where I even show up and talk about what movement I chose versus, you know, when I don't want to open up that conversation, like I'm much more intentional because I know that it's, it's, it's not part, it's not going to feed my healthy-ish, you know, narrative, to be maybe talking to someone who's will never live an entrepreneur type life, you know, and having them hold space for risks that I want to take and inviting in a bit more abundance with ease. And they're looking at me like cross-eyed, like I'm counting the years left until I clock out on this pension. Great for you. High five. You know, I so appreciate that, but (laughs) you know, please don't feed that, that belief, (laughs) you know, that. It's already there, right? It's already there. You're like, I'm, I'm unpacking that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I want to just end with three quick questions that I always ask everybody. Um, Okay. And if we already answered it, feel free to just be like, you know, that's okay. Cause we kind of had a different conversation than sometimes I have with people, but anyway, okay. Number one thing that's helping you feel your healthy ishness (laughs) (laughs) right now, this week today. Yeah. 
Okay, this week today, right now, ugh, compassion for myself. Okay. Oh, like just literally being like my own best friend because I'm navigating a bunch of things in my life and just being like, whatever happens, whatever you do, whatever you don't do, however the outcome of it, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. Good one. Mm. Uh, Something that makes your eyes roll so far back in your head, you might die of eye rollitis when it comes to to wellness and health and bodies and Oh yeah. Oh fuck. There's a million of them, but you know, before now, before and after pictures, before I can't effing stand it. And I'll tell you a few reasons. There's a few reasons why, first of all, they're bullshit half the time. Like you can make it look different with the same person in the same moment. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, how often do we see the poor before picture and the person's like frowning and like the way the light is on them makes them look even paler, you know, like just yeah. everything about it. It's like whoever took the picture is going out of their way to make it look like, yeah. you know, the other thing is, okay, again, it applauds the fact that like you're better than after you've done external work. The other thing I've worked with a shit ton of women in my life, they get to the before picture and I, they literally hate themselves and hate their lives more than they ever have. You know, so it's selling. Oh, when they get to the after picture, after picture, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, The after picture, they get to the after picture and I've never seen them so low. Yeah. And that happened. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing too, is I think like for me, it's also like, it especially bugs me when it's with a caption, like it's not about how I look, it's about how I feel. And I'm like, so then what's with the fucking photo? Like, if it's not about how you look, why are you using this to gain snaps? Um, and then the yep. second thing is the reality that 99% of the time, my body looks like the before body. And I know there, and I'm a medium sized average woman. Like, mm-hmm. so I know there's tons of women that I work with that are in much bigger bodies than I am. And yep. like, I feel great and I'm taking care of myself. So if you're going to say, but when I was in that body, I was miserable and low and down and whatever. It's like, well, that was, that's what my body looks like right now. So I don't understand. Like, again, I just don't know what to do with this whole photo situation because you're using a photo of yourself to prove that this was a moment when you felt down. Totally. And you know what I want to, you know, step away is that the reality is, yeah, for a variety of different reasons, bodies may change and become smaller and people have done internal work and whatnot. And they're in a very good place. Right. Like, I feel like I need to say that, you know, right now, like this isn't about the body. This is about, I want to say my piss off is the message that it sells the bullshit to be really honest. And I've always said, whether I wore the full-time trainer hat or I do move in a bit, I'm not interested in your before and after picture. I'm interested in your before and after story and life. Yeah. Life. Because I would agree. Like I think a good way of saying it is like, I have done things that are really good for my body and my body's gotten smaller. And I've done things that are really bad for my body and my body's gotten smaller. smaller. I've done things that are really good for my body and my Mm -hmm. body's gotten bigger. I've done things that are really bad for my body and my body's gotten bigger. So like the whole thing is and like, those are true in my, and then I see it with other women as well. So it's that whole idea of like the photos just inconsequential. What really matters is like you said, the story, how are you living? Are you happy with it? And not just happy because people are congratulating you on the internet while it, you oh God. are living in misery of some sort of making, but happy you're getting claps. Like, like social privilege and acceptance is not the same thing as happiness. They're not the same thing, you know? Mm. 
Yeah. No. Anyway, okay, Honestly, that was so good. These like, are supposed to be quick answers, but I feel like we're turning. This oh, into like, sorry. I could no, just it's like, like it's just you know what, and a high for people because you're listening at the time of year, December twenty seventh. I think the thing that pisses me off, and what I do feel passionate, and I want to take a second here to say, is the this shit's capitalizing on women's vulnerabilities. You know, yeah. like yeah. you said, majority of women may look like the before picture, and then boom, program is sold, money's in their pocket, fucking patriarchy wins. You know, yeah. so it's just. It's just there. There's so much of why I dislike it. And yeah. Then, yeah. Anyhow. Okay. okay last next question. One. Last cue, and then we got to wrap this up. Um, yeah. one thing that from the outside, like if somebody was looking in, they'd be like, "That's not healthy." But mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, this is actually like this is something that adds to my healthiest. It makes me feel vital and fun, and like it adds to that that sense of joy that connects you to the well being of energy." But like on the outside, somebody might be like, "That's not healthy." Oh shit. There's probably a few things, but, uh, nighttime eating. Yeah. 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 I'd say nighttime eating, you know, that rule of like, you can't eat before yes. eight or this, like yeah. I honest to God, even my lifestyle doesn't even work that way. Right. So like, you're like, you know, I ate late a couple nights ago, I was cooking dinner at eight o'clock and I really didn't, I don't, I don't think about these things at all anymore, mm-hmm. but from the outside in people be like, what, hang on a second, Pam had bacon and eggs at eight 30. Uh, yeah, she did. You know, like, whether I worked out or didn't work out or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm grabbing a handful of chocolate chips at nine o'clock at night and I'm really okay with it. Yeah. yeah. So that for sure. Any, uh, okay. We have one, just one minute. I should, I really have yes. to go. Cause I do. I'm like, I have a session in seven minutes, but I just like any years intentions or like, like, like big picture things you're after in 2023. Cause we're mm-hmm. at, you know, theoretically as this goes live we're four days away yeah I think I'm I'm yeah uh, for me it's really leaning into my energetic needs when it comes to the professional hat that I'm wearing and the work that I'm going to put out in the world Jill you yeah. know so for me part of my healthiest re- recipe is I joke that I'm the most extroverted introvert you'll ever meet I can turn it on I will public speak in front of people I will coach I will connect with individuals and I cannot do it all day, every day. So a big kind of intention for me is to really structure my professional and my personal life in a way that really fuels me energetically. Cause you know, it's been a heck of a last few years for all of us, you know, in different ways and I'm feeling good. And I know how much better I can feel with intentionally making some of those decisions for myself. So, okay. And I'll make sure to link to like where people can find you and all of that stuff in the show notes. Okay. Amazing. Happy New Year. That was so good. Happy New Year, everyone. All right. That is it for me today. You know the drill. Three things I want you to do. Download your healthy-ish starter guide. You can find it at foodfreedombodylove.com forward slash healthy-ish starter guide. I want you to rate and review the podcast. It makes such a huge difference. Please, please, please rate and review. And bonus points if you tell not one, not two, but three friends about the episode. All right. Have an amazing day. Keep it healthy-ish. Keep it fun. And I'll see you in a few days.